0: We are talking to host, TV personality, journalist, and show producer. She is a red carpet reporter for Us Weekly and People Magazine, covering award shows like the Oscars, Grammys, and the Golden Globes. My friend, Ms. Mimi Brown. Uh, Mimi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Drina. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Mimi and I met a few years ago when I was pitching a client to be on Good Day LA, Mm -hmm. and our relationship has since blossomed since then. Mm -hmm. We bond over our boys, just... Mm -hmm stuff in the industry, how Hollywood is so Hollywood, (laughs) and just everything work-related and just building a brand. And I've seen Mimi go from producing Good Day LA to having her own show on the network Culture Conversations and to now being a news anchor on Fox Soul. So Mimi, I'm just so excited to chat with you today because I want people to hear a little bit about your journey because you did not start on this path to be in front of the camera.
1: Yeah, no, Drina, you have you've been there for a while now thinking back to it. It has been quite the journey when I think about it and, and and all the ups and downs. But it's, you know, it's been an amazing journey. You and I, we've definitely bonded over some of our pitches and our industry functions. And I'm so happy that our relationship has turned into what it has
0: today. Well, me too. So I want to take it all the way back. I asked everyone this question on the podcast, and it's like When you were in high school, what did you write in your high school yearbook when it said Mimi Brown will be XYZ in 10 years? What did you write?
1: Oh my goodness, that's a great question. What did I write? You know what? I probably wrote, I'll see y'all on TV somewhere. Because I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And so for me, our view in our window into the world was on TV. That's the only way we could see things. And so I always knew that I wanted to tell stories because that's the only way I got to know what was happening with the rest of the world. Growing up in Alaska or Anchorage was like an island,
0: especially like right now. Because I was going to ask about that. Like, what does the Black population look like? You're the only Black person I know that I've met that has grown up in Anchorage, Alaska. And so I'm just really interested to hear about what growing up Black in Alaska was like. You know growing up black in
1: Alaska was I for me I feel like it was everywhere else. I didn't I don't think I realized that I was different or that there wasn't a lot of us until I started getting closer to high school. But growing up, you know, now that I look back at it having my own son, it's like I was the only black girl in my classes all the time when you look back at the pictures. I was like the only one. Maybe there was one or two others, but I don't think I really made, I don't think it was that big of a deal to me because I didn't notice it. I started noticing it when, if I'm being honest, when I got to high school and I started developing differently than some of the other girls in the school. (laughs) And then I wasn't able to wear certain things that you know, other people were wearing it. I was like, well, what's the difference? And I think that's when I started realizing there's, there's, I'm, you know, I'm different, but there are black people in Alaska because of military bases. You know, there's the air force, there's an army base there. So you do get a lot of people. That's how we got there. My dad was in the army. He retired there. And so we just grew up there. I have two little sisters, but there's a nice little, you know, population of Black people in Alaska. You'll see it at church. You won't see it if you're just like out at the supermarket. You kind of be got to be intentional about where you go. We've got all the same sororities chapters there. We've got Jack and jail chapters there. We've got everything in Anchorage that you would see anywhere else. You just kind of have to be intentional of getting together.
0: From Alaska to L.A. <laughs> so I read, where, <laughs> I read where you said you never knew jobs like this existed because of your upbringing or because of where you lived, essentially. So what mm-hmm. led to you discovering the industry?
1: That is a very, very interesting story. So for me, I, so after I left Alaska, I knew that I did not want to go back. I literally left the day after I graduated high school and I had an internship on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Um, I had already been accepted to Howard. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and intern for my senator from Alaska. And I stayed in the George Washington dorms until school started at Howard. And then I was just like, I just can't, I knew that I needed to get out. Just like I was saying, it's like this island and you just feel so isolated. And so I wanted to be like around the people. So after I graduated, I knew I didn't want to go back to that life. And I had a professor at Howard, who happened to now be a household name, Omarosa, but before she was just a grad student who happened to be my professor. And because she was a grad student, she wasn't that much older than me. And so we Mm -hmm. became friends. I think I was like a sophomore in college. She was getting her graduate degree and we would hang out. She was married at the time. And I remember she lived in Northern Virginia and I'd go over there all the time. So we became friends. So fast forward, she got her degree. She left Howard. And I remember I graduated from Howard. It was like two or three days after. And she called me and she said, what are you doing? I said, nothing and i didn't even know that she had did this but she had already filmed the apprentice and she was moving to la and she was like listen i just filmed this tv show i'm not sure what it's going to be like but i think i'm going to need an assistant if you're not doing anything would you move to la and help me out and i was like sure cuz at that time i just knew i had a government job i was so unhappy this is not what i wanted to do and so i picked up i left shipped my car and i moved to la And I became Omarosa's assistant. And that is how I got my industry introduction.
0: Let's talk about your first time you set your feet down on the campus of Howard. Was that like a major culture shock to you? You know, yes. Let me say, I remember
1: when I got there. Okay. So you have to understand, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, literally no Black people anywhere I mean I'm not not anywhere but just not a lot of black people yeah wasn't a lot I got to Howard and it was just like you know chocolate city as they called it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and I remember being afraid I was afraid to cross the street there were so many black people I had it was a culture shock I had never seen that in my life and I remember my mother saying to me she said they don't know you're not from here. Just keep walking. You look just like them. They don't know you're not from here. Mm-hmm. And then at the time it just clicked and made so much sense. And so every time I thought of something, I was like, they don't know I'm not from here. And I just used that to integrate myself into everyday life of living in Washington, DC. But yeah, I was. it was the biggest culture shock for me. I don't think that I had ever been around or been in a situation where I was around but that's why I chose Howard because I was like oh I want to go where my people are I don't want to live here anymore but I don't think I was ready I said that but I don't think I was ready
0: I feel like most black kids who grow up in predominantly white neighborhoods that that want to like be around and like know the culture gravitate towards like the HBCU I'm not going to lie the same thing happened to me like I grew up in Westfield which in New Jersey is like a predominantly white Town. There's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more black people than in there than in Anchorage. I'm not 100% sure, but like, there's like, we have a little black neighborhood. So it's like one or two black kids in each class. And so you do realize you're different growing up. But we also had, we where we are located is also in close proximity to like towns that are majority like African American. But when I was graduating high school, I made a point to apply to specifically HBCU schools because I wanted to be around, you know, black people. Chocolate mm-hmm. City, like you said, exactly. But then you build this relationship with Omarosa, who, yes. like, in the world, is like painted as a, a villain on TV, painted as a villain. So, how did you like build that relationship? Just to, through her being like a grad student, you you guys just connected, bonded, and built from there. But then for her to ask you to come to LA and be your assistant. That's a whole different world. Mm -hmm. So you didn't know she filmed The Apprentice. And so you didn't already know that she had developed some sort of celebrity when you came on as her assistant, I'm assuming. No, not a clue.
1: So what was that
0: like for you when you moved to L.A.? And also, is she like, is the personality the same in real life as it is on TV? People want to know. They're going to want to know.
1: You know what? So, the OK, so to answer your first question, when I stepped down in L.A., I realized, oh, I've arrived. This is where I should have been the whole time. Right. Like I realized the, the TV, all of that, like, oh, OK, this is my calling. This is where I should have been. You know, and I believe everything happens in divine order. So, you know, I don't think it was by mistake that that phone call ended up happening and I ended up being here. Right. Like I know that God has ordered my steps. And it just so happened to come through that route through a friend. But I was always meant to be here. And to answer your second question about Omarosa, you know what? She is an amazing friend. I don't know the person that most people may have seen on TV, but what I can only do is speak from my experience. And from my experience, whenever I've called, needed help, had a question, was gonna appear on the essence stage and needed someone to, you know, give me some pointers or whatever it may be, she's always shown up for me. And so for me, you know, that's the that's the person that I know. For that, you know, I will
0: always ride for her. So love that. Yeah. So how did you jump from Being her assistant to then being like media, like transitioning into the media industry.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, okay. So she and I were at the NAACP Image Awards and I saw this lady, her name is Shirley Hepburn. You look her up, she's still doing her thing. And I saw her in the gifting suite and she was going around, you know, getting gifts and trying out the products. And I was like, you know, some celebrities, I came in there, but I was like, who is she? Right. Like who is this lady coming in and getting all these gifts and trying out all these products? I mean, they were giving away good stuff, like two first class jet blue flights, you know, name, (laughs) name brand shoes and clothes and, and bags. And, you know, and I'm like, who is this collecting all of these things? Right. And so I went up to her and I asked her, you know, her name and what she did. And she told me that she was a journalist and she worked for Us Weekly. And I said, well, how can I do what you do? And she gave me her card and I called her the next day and she had me come into the office. And literally by the end of the week, I was a red carpet reporter for Us Weekly. And that is literally how it happened. And what I realized when she was in the gifting suite, she was collecting the products and and the things so she could write articles and things. And I was like, "Oh, well, you know, is that how it happens? You get, you know, free stuff being a journalist and and things like that. It's a lot of work. But I saw that side of it and I was wondering like how that works. And so I literally just asked. And she told me that and because I went to school for business. I was a business major at Howard. I did not go to school for journalism. I ended up being a red carpet reporter, and I think you know, networking is so important because once you're on the carpet, you're sitting next to all these people, and you just start talking to them. And so I did that for a few years for different outlets, and I met a guy who was a cameraman for Fox 11, Fox LA, and I I asked him, hey, you know, I want to move into television. Are they hiring at Fox 11? And he goes, I don't know, I don't think so, but I'll put you in touch with the news director. And so he put me in touch with the news director. And I sent him an email and he wrote me back and he said, We're not hiring right now. And I said, Okay, that's fine. And I sent him all my information and I sent a picture. And then he asked me to come in for an interview, even though he said that they weren't hiring. And three months later, I got a job at Fox LA. Nice.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were attracted to the free swag. That's what you wanted initially. What? That's, that's literally it.
1: I was wondering who this lady was that was coming in here, getting this free swag and, and what that was about. And I just literally went up to her and asked questions. See, but on that real quick. Looking back, that was a journalist in me asking look questions.
0: You, look at you, trying to spin it. Look at you. So I wanted to actually like go a little bit deeper on that point because like a lot of folks will get into these, type of industry jobs, whether it be journalists, whether it be a publicist, thinking about or only seeing the glitz and glam of the mm-hmm. industry and don't fully understand all of the work that goes into actually putting together a successful PR campaign or even writing a full story or walking the red carpet and coming prepared with questions. When you got that first, what was your first gig? Under Us Weekly, how did you prepare for that? Because you didn't know what you were doing, right? When did you realize, like, oh shit, this actually requires me to do some some work here?
1: Yeah, you know, so the glitz and glamour initially attracted me, but it is a lot of work. And when I say a lot of work, it's a lot, a lot of work, even working for some someone like Us Weekly, because what happens is you you're out there you're on that red carpet and you are expected to get answers you know so I think I I went to a premiere I can't remember what premiere was but I know it was like Jennifer Aniston there was a just a, a really big names there I think even at the time it might have been like Robin Williams there was just a lot of people there and you are expected to get something you know like you can't be like oh I didn't get sorry there was just you know this happened and you have to get something and so. What I realized is you have to know the actresses, the actors that are coming down. so you've got to do your research. you got to know what the movie's about. you got to know a little bit about their life so that you can ask the questions. Like, There's a lot of research, a lot of knowing who's who that goes into all of these things because you are expected to know. And what I didn't realize either is that, so being in LA, a lot of the stuff that we had to do, we had to turn in, we had to turn it in that night because it was on East Coast time. So I would be up typing like six pages of question and answers and getting it back to the magazine, you know, and that was every night that wasn't like, so that, so while you have your tape recorder and you're asking these questions, you've got to come home and transcribe that. And I don't care if, you know, you go to the premiere, then you go to the after party and it's over at 1am, you've got to transcribe that thing and get it back to this New York office by a certain time. So it is definitely a lot of work, but I think being there. It prepared me for what I um, walked into at Fox LA because at Fox LA, and this all ties together for me. So so when I got to Fox LA, it was one of those things where, again, you realize that you're a minority in this field, right? And so when I got to Fox LA, I started out, so crazy when I say this out loud, I started out as a production assistant, right? I just wanted to get in. So I got in and I was a production assistant. Probably two weeks later, someone either quit their job or got fired, and then I got a promotion to be a field producer because they just needed someone to, to we, feel that.
0: Did <laughs> you even know what you were doing? Did
1: you even know what you were doing? No, I did not. <laughs> Had no idea what I was doing, none whatsoever. But here's the secret that I've learned: if you, I always say that I can do it, and then I will figure it out later. Exactly. I'm never going to say I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to say that I can do it and just figure it out later. And I have to give kudos to some of the people that were already in the station because there was, you know, you know your tribe. So there was uh, two or three other Black people there that want to see me win. You know, one was an anchor. One was another older lady who was a producer who has become a mentor to me and was another a writer who's moved on since then. But I said that I could do it and they made sure I knew what I was doing. But while I got that promotion, what it allowed me to do, what I didn't realize, and so I I got to be the producer of this segment called Lisa's LA. And around what what it did was it allowed me to go around LA, highlight the latest in fitness, fashion, new stores you know, all of these things. But because I'm a black woman, I got to see it from a black lens. So I got to put a lot of black businesses and a lot of people who would not get the opportunity to have their stuff seen, you know, on this morning show, it gave me the opportunity to highlight them. And so that's what i started doing. And that's when I realized that, you know, this is what, this is my calling. This is what I'm here for. Cause we don't really have a voice inside these buildings, you know? And so I began to go out of my way to make sure that I was highlighting some of the other stories that you wouldn't normally see.
0: I love that. Especially on a show like that. Mm-hmm. Especially <laughs> on a show. Like- <laughs> How did you start Culture Conversations there then?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So I was, uh, I, I, so after I was a production assistant for like two weeks. I mm-hmm. went, so I started, I was, a, you know, did Lisa's LA. I was a field producer for a good five years. It was, it was a really long run. That was really an amazing job. I got to just, you know, go around LA and, and meet a lot of people. But then I started doing, producing segments. And I think this is where you come in, Jaina. So I would, you know, fill through some of the, the segments and the things that were coming through and I would start, start producing them for the morning show And I did that for, you know, a really long time as well. And then fast forward, maybe like, so this is, I'm not gonna say how old I was, I am, but this is, this was, you know, circa right before the last recession. And so they laid everyone off. They laid everyone off right in the height of like me building this roster of all the amazing things in LA, segment producing. They just laid everyone off. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? And so I decided at the time to go back to school to get my master's degree in broadcast journalism because then I realized I want to make the pit maneuver to be um, a journalist on air. And so um, I went back, I got a, a graduate degree in it, and I started working for other stations in the meantime, since they let other people off. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine at Fox said, You know what? You should come back. It, they're hiring again. And so I ended up coming back. And I did some more segment producing and um, George Floyd happened. Mm -hmm. And when George Floyd happened, I think like every other business, they were looking around like, you know, how do we center black voices? Right. How do we show that we care about what's going on in, in this community? And we were having a meeting one day, and I said something. I don't even remember what I said, but the news director was listening. And so she called me after and she said, Mimi, what you said was so profound. And I just don't think we've been listening. We'd really like to do the show, and we'd really like for you to host it, anchor it. And that's how culture conversations came about. (laughs) Yeah. It was a little bit of kind of being prepared because I had already done a lot of the work. I mean, honestly, I think what allows me to thrive. I call myself a one-man van because I've done every job in the newsroom, mm-hmm. like, every single job. I can do it we from shooting it. Come on. To, we'll it. To, to whatever I can do every single job. And so that makes me, you know, a commodity because even with Fox Soul, like kind of run it by myself, you know, in the sense of like, I can do every single thing. It was a great learning experience to be able to finally take all the things that I did and put it into, you know, this this great show where um, I get to interview leaders and change makers doing things in the community. And then Fox 11 airing it and it living on Fox LA. It's still on Fox LA website. A lot of our sister stations picked it up in Atlanta and New Orleans and D.C., everywhere. And so it was a really great experience to be able to, to be the voice and the face of telling those
0: stories. So you've been in front and behind the camera as a host, TV personality, journalist, and producer. Which role do you think has been the most impactful for your career? That's a great question. What's interesting about that is I would
1: say being a producer allows you to curate the content. You are essentially the boss, right? You you get to say uh, what we're talking about, what questions we're asking, who we're talking to. You You get to basically kind of tell the talent what we're going to do. So in my producer roles, this is why for me moving into the talent space was just a no brainer because I started realizing like when I was doing all the producing, I'm coming up with the questions. I am doing all the research. I'm pulling the video. I'm writing the packages and I'm just literally handing it in a nice little bow to the talent to do. And I was like, why am I giving that away? You know, I should do that for myself. Mm. And so that. I, I realize okay, so I, you know, I don't want to give that away anymore, but I will say being a producer allows you to, it's a quiet job that I don't think a lot of people, people always see you on TV and then they think, oh my gosh, you know, they're delivering that story, but there's someone behind the scenes that is putting it together. Yeah together, right? So if you like something, if you like someone, if there's a story that you see or something, there's there's a producer who quietly put that whole thing together that you never even know about, you know? And so there's so much power in having that position. So I don't think people, I don't think people really understand Yeah, the producer is the one who moves the needle. And so In my current role as the executive producer of Fox Soul's Black Report, I get to not only pick all the stories, but I get to report them and still curate that content. And um, so if you see something you like, not only did I pick it and write it, I'm delivering it. You know what I mean? So it becomes just my whole baby instead of me.
0: (laughs) Would you like recommend... Folks who are looking to start in the industry to kind of learn at like the different facets of a production room or like even just like a full production, like learn like who's writing, how to write copy, learn how to like go scout or source locations. Like, do you think that's essential to someone that's looking to get into the broadcast industry to just kind of learn every, learn every role? Absolutely. I think right now,
1: especially right now, because they're only keeping people. So jobs are going away. We all know that, right? But if you are a person who is invaluable because you can do all of the jobs, you know how to write, you know how to edit, you know how to produce. Uh, I'm not even saying that you have to be talented, but you can do all the jobs in the newsroom. You're more likely to keep your job because I've seen, even when I did go back to Fox, a lot of people didn't Hired. I mean, we were working with the skeleton crew. It's still a skeleton crew. You know, the only people who are still there are people who can do multiple jobs. If you say, you know, I am a news writer and that's all I'm gonna do, don't ask me to do anything else, you're more than likely not to get hired or not to find a job. You've at this, this same age, you know, gone are the days where there's copy editors or there's a writer, or there's a, a desk assistant, you know, um, you've got to be able to do all of those things in order now to just keep your job. That's literally the way that it's going. I mean, there's so many places that are folding. I literally just did a story. We were talking about KNBC out here. you was, was just laying off people. There's another round of layoffs coming at a, another couple of stations here. I mean, it's a thing where you will do yourself a disservice if you do not learn how to do everything. But, but I said that to say now, a lot of things are shifting because a lot of younger kids, the younger generations, are content creators, which means they're doing it all themselves anyway. Okay. They're learning how to create their own content anyway. So if they come in house, they've already, they already know how to do some of these okay. things because they've already created their own space, and so they're they're giving themselves a leg up by doing that.
0: I was going to ask if someone was like starting from scratch. What should they do to become a producer to enter the industry or to just enter the industry? But you just touched on it, like how this next generation is like, they know how to create some content and have it like wrapped Mm -hmm. up in a bow and and in a package. But for folks who are kind of like not in that age bracket, maybe a little bit older and like want to do a career shift and it's like, hey, how can I get in the industry? What tips would you offer them?
1: A television news anchor once told me, if you know how to newswrite, you will always be employed. You will always be able to get a job at a station because it is a a niche. Not everyone knows how to do it. It is very different from writing for any other type of publication from blogging is different from writing AP style for, you know, like the New York Times, like newswriting is its own thing. It's hard to teach because I'm trying sometimes with my staff, you know, but if you if you can do that, I think that can get you in the door because people are always writers are few, far and in between hard to find Um, just because, you know, an anchor is reading what you write and, and it has to be simple. It has to be concise. And you've got to get the story in there in 20 seconds. You've got to take an entire five minute article and condense it to 20 seconds. That's a skill. Mm. That's just, skill. Mm-hmm. and if you can do that, I think you will always be able to find a job. Most news organizations, they will give you a writing test before they will even interview you because they're not going to waste their time yeah. if you can't newswrite. So that's definitely a skill. Uh, that's definitely something that I think you should learn if you want to step foot inside of a new
0: agree. I think just writing is like an important skill to mm-hmm. have across the board, but specifically in like the broadcast, mm-hmm. in, in the communications industry period. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about how the media landscape is changing, specifically with like publications and outlets laying off like full staffs. Would you say social media news outlets and blogs have changed or impacted the media landscape in any kind of way?
1: Oh, yeah. It's changed everything. Mm -hmm. Blogs and, you know, the need to be first and everyone's a journalist now. (laughs) It has definitely changed the landscape. You know, I think the problem with stations, especially local stations that they're finding is that they can't they don't know how to keep up. They're having a problem keeping up because their social media sites, their, their Instagrams, they're not as fast as, you know, some of these other sites where you're going to get that news immediately. You know, they're having to figure out how to restructure themselves so they can compete. It's very different. And I, that's, In my opinion, why some of the jobs are just going away? Because if I can log on my phone really quickly and see the latest news, why am I? Why am I going to wait for the six PM? Doesn't make any sense. I
0: mean, don't you feel like they're still necessary? Though at the end of the day, I still love picking up a print publication, and maybe it's just because like we grew up with that. Like I still love picking up a magazine. I still like a newspaper, even though I do still consume my media online. I still like having physical copies of me. Don't you think it's still necessary? I think it's a generational thing. (laughs) I think think that
1: (laughs) depending on what generation you are, it's a necessary thing. I mean, I I think a lot of Gen Zers don't feel that way. I feel like they feel like, you know, whatever. I just click, you know, see what I want to see and put it down. Mm -hmm. You know, and studies have shown that they're not really watching the news like that. You know, they are just consuming what they need and they're putting it down. I mean, we live in the age of TikTok. Like my son gets all his news from TikTok. He will have he will argue me down about a subject because he's watched it on TikTok. You know what I mean? And and that is literally the age that we live in. And so it's it's just very different. But I'm like you, Drina. I I still like the hard copy of stuff. Even I have a planner. You know, I put stuff in my phone, but I
0: need a planner where yeah, I can just write things down. I need a notebook. I need a planner. I need to yeah. see things in yeah. front of me. Yes, yeah. exactly.
1: But I, I just, I also think it's a generational thing. So. so
0: where do you foresee, as someone who's in the industry, right, and is seeing like the impact of like the shift in the way folks consume media, how do you see the landscape changing even further? Oh, I think that will news
1: always be here? Absolutely. I don't think it's going away, but I do think you'll start to see more online news platforms and programs, more apps that are catering to like a news station, making their own online platform. I know like you have like, you know, your ET online or your cheddar Mm -hmm. news because people want to be able to click for something online. So while a traditional setting will always be there, right? I think it's going to start moving more digitally. It's definitely, I know a lot of stations are doing digital newscasts now where they're broadcasting from their Facebook page, or it's definitely moving away from more just on TV and more into like how you can get it really quick on your devices. So I think we'll start to see more of that everywhere. And that's not a bad thing. That's more opportunity for everyone. Because um, when I started in this industry, you know, you had to look a certain way. You know, you had to have your hair a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. And I don't, I break the mold. I have long hair. I have a nose ring. You know what I mean? Like I have all these things that would not be acceptable had the tides could not continue to change. So I'm happy about that.
0: Talk to me a little bit about just as someone is in this space. So you went from red carpet correspondent to producer to like talent in front of the camera. I'm always interested in how y'all change your voice to be on <laughs> 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 like are you that? Like, just explain that to me. Like, how does this happen? <laughs> That is so funny. You know what? It is because you do it too. Do I do it?
1: I don't know if I if I notice it. I mean, I, I okay. So when I'm sitting here, it's it's funny. So they'll be counting us down. Three, two, one, and I'll be like laughing, hee hee, ha ha. But when that camera comes on, it's almost instinctively, do you know, where do you just it. okay. I can't believe you're gonna do it do it. I'm gonna try. Let me see. Okay so on the spot so today we are here and we're sitting down and we're trying to find out what happened to little Megan Megan disappeared around five o'clock and her parents say they have not seen her da, 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 da. you know what I mean are you like, taught that baby that was
0: different. are you taught that, that? no no you can't no so no. why like who told you to do that <laughs> I don't
1: know. I don't it is it is it is just something that you yeah, it's part of the industry. I don't you know, I've until you've asked me this question, drina I don't even I don't I don't know where to
0: go. <laughs> it's just it is just something that you do. i I'm, something- I'm, I'm always interested in when folks change their voice like well, on camera it just blows my mind so I'm like are they taught that like in their like assignment meetings like or production mm-hmm. meetings like what happens no but you
1: also want to project you want to make sure that folks can understand you you want to speak clearly slowly so there's a lot Excuse of me, things- how did
0: you learn this if you had no experience in this industry at all how did you learn that was it just trial and error? Was it, it just like when you it
1: was got- being, but see, once you're around it so much? So, you know, before I even got on air, I had been doing it behind the scenes for 10 years. And then again, I, once I had all the experience in the world, I left and I went and I got a graduate degree in it. That's right. And so, yeah. So then, then I came back and I started doing it some more. It just became, you know, it's now like second nature. But yeah, I think, because I'm thinking in school, do they tell us to talk like this? They never ever, (laughs) they never ever tell you to talk. You just want to, you know, you just, you just, you just, you're told to project Uh and make sure that you are, you know, people can
0: understand you. But other than that, mm -mm, no. When you look back over your career, because you've been in in the game for a minute now, are there any interviews or projects that you, you know, still pinch yourself in disbelief about, that you were a part of? One of the the best things for me that I
1: got to do was, okay, so one was culture conversations, that whole thing. But impacting the culture, I got to cover, in LA, Nipsey Hussle's funeral. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was the cultural impact of that because this is why I say having us, having Black people Inside some of these institutions is so important because when he died, no one in there really understood who he was or why it was a big deal, why we should cover it. You know, they were like, "Okay, you know, whatever. So we had our meetings and I'll have to give it to them after a lot of like (laughs) questions and answers. They trusted me to lead the coverage we were like the only station in LA that stayed on to like from the beginning to the end, which was like 3 PM. And we covered the whole thing. And for me, I got to bring in a lot of his friends, a lot of people who knew him and actually really get to talk about who he was as a person and the man and, and the legacy he wanted to leave. And so for me being there and being able to impact the culture in a white space like that, because they would not have done that had it not been for my voice telling them why this was so important has always been like a highlight for me because just to see, you know, my friends knew a lot, but this is again about being a producer. Like my friends knew it was me, but a lot of people, you know, who are watching it at home and there was this big thing about how a lot of stations didn't cover it and, you know, how we did cover it. But that's why those voices... And um, being in those spaces are so important. So that's that's one thing that sticks out to me.
0: Do you have a moment where you can look back and be like, yo, that I really effed this up. This, like, everybody has a moment in their career where they have like a big mistake that they learned from and like they now know like I would never do that again. It has really kind of shaped the way they like do their day to day work. Like I have one like that always sticks out to me. What's one for you?
1: I mean, I think in this business every day, you're always learning. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I tell you what you can't do. You have so many days to play Oscar footage. And if you play Oscar footage any time after a certain period of time, you can and will be fined. And I had to learn that the hard way. What do you, do you mean? Never. So you have a certain amount of time that you can play. Like, I forgot who won. It was early on in my career. I put something on TV. Some Oscar footage that could not run, that should not have ran, because I, I forget the, the window. I don't, I don't even do it anymore. I'm so nervous behind it now. But you, you, you have only a couple of days after the Oscars where you can run their footage. Of course, you have to put courtesy Academy Awards or courtesy Oscars, whatever, whatever the courtesy is. But you cannot play that footage after a certain time. And I did. We got fined at a station. So I learned how to sign you. I have no idea. I didn't have to pay it, but it was not.
0: <laughs> you said I have to pay it.
1: Oh <laughs> but, but those are the things that you you know, you you have to, those are the you know, trial and errors. Of course, that was a very expensive mistake. And by then I had already, you know, shown improve. But people get fired over stuff like that. And so those are are things that you just, you know, I don't know. How you would know that unless someone told you? Right. But those are just, you know, that was my moment where I really was like, I'm done. I'm just out of here. Because depending on how long you play it, how much footage you use, that fine can go up, 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 and up.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. 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 I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We talked a little bit about like the the media landscape changing. So how do you stay current and continue to learn? Every day to remain relevant in this like trendy area. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness that I am still wanting
1: to create because I want to create. I am very involved in creating content, mm-hmm. so that helps me um, stay in the know. It helps me stay relevant. It helps me know the changing tides, how people are thinking. Um, I think it's very important to either have someone who's in the mix. I, I have the most wonderful intern and her name is JJ and JJ will keep me abreast of all the things that I don't know. But I also think it's important to have a really good team around you because you can't and will not know everything. There's so many different things happening. There's so many different changes. But for me, I'm only as good as the people that I surround myself with. And so I try and make sure that from the people that I work with to the people that I'm friends with like everyone is kind of like like-minded and we're always kind of keeping each other abreast of of what's happening and so that's been for me how I've been able to stay current because it has changed a lot a lot a lot
0: I always do this like section where we do quick fire questions so I want to do a few quick fires with you so just say the first thing that pops in your mind What's the last thing you watched on TV or streamed?
1: The Meghan and Harry series. I'm
0: watching it <laughs> now. I'm watching it now. They could be up mm, in there. Love, 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 love. We'll talk about the okay. later, but I'm obsessed with them. Yes, anyway, so, um, am, I. so <laughs> am I. If you could have dinner with any person, who would it be? Um,
1: Michelle Obama. Mm.
0: Radio or Podcast.
1: Video,
0: radio or podcast? You go to <laughs> video, a whole different video. Oh, podcast, podcast, podcast. <laughs> what song would we be surprised you know all the lyrics to? Shoop. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could have one superpower, what would it be? The Read Minds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you and I have talked offline a little bit about like some of your plans and goals for the next iteration of your career, but can you share a little bit about what's next for me?
1: Yeah. So I'm a news junkie, so I will always at heart deliver the news in some capacity. So, you know, you will always catch me on a network in the voice, as you put it, Drina, delivering the news somewhere. There are some really big things that I'm working on. So um, hopefully that will come to pass. And I'm also working on my my podcast, my show that I'm wanting to get off the ground, which is another continuation of Culture Conversations. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm always hosting um, new things. I was, you know, I just did Essence Festival this past year. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some things for the NAACP, and um, coming up, doing some some things this summer with some other people. So I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of things in the works that I'm that I'm working on. I can't
0: wait to see and hear more and share more. Mimi Brown, thank you so much for joining me and sharing a little bit about your journey. Where can folks find, follow, and see all the things associated with you and your brand and the work you're doing?
1: I am at Mimi Brown TV. That's M-I-M-I Brown TV on all platforms. All
0: right. Well, thank you so much, Mimi. I appreciate you. Thank you.